Good morning. I'd be delighted to be delighted to be a member again if you'll have me back. I've I've been uh, out on uh, assignment in New York for a few years, but I'm back. Uh, pleasure to be with you uh, this morning. I uh, love College Wesleyan Church. I did sneak a few peeks on services here while I was living in New York, um, so I've not uh, left you entirely. But um, it's a pleasure to be here, and um, I think we all have a unique story. We all have a unique uh, kind of background. Uh, when I tell my kids about some of the dynamics of how I grew up, uh, they, they think I'm a little weird. Um, but, but I suspect that my uh, story is not too much different from some of your stories, especially those of you who are a little, uh, little older, especially if you grew up in a Wesleyan kind of holiness uh, background. Uh, I suspect every tradition has its uniqueness, its own kind of unique uh, issues that it's wrestled with in the past. Um, I, I'm young. I was born in the late, late 60s, uh, grew up in the, in the 70s and uh, 80s, so I really only caught the tail end of one of the kind of things that Wesleyans uh, wrestled with in the 50s and 60s. They called it standards. Uh, this was how you should dress, what you should wear, what you shouldn't wear. It was mostly the women. The guys got it pretty easy as long as you kept your hair. Mine's a little too long, to be honest. If my father was still alive and I went to visit him, he would say, hey, you want to go to the barber? It's just right around, right around the corner. But guys got it pretty, pretty easy uh, in those debates. There was a two-week period where I wrestled with whether or not I should wear shorts uh, to do track uh, because shorts were a no-no. Uh, we had a pastor once who dared mowed, mow his yard in shorts, and we heard about that at the dinner table. Uh, about you know should a pastor be showing off those legs to the to to the people going by on Andrews Avenue uh, down in Florida where I where I grew up but the guys had it by the way it's scriptural lay aside every weight as you run the race that is set before us it's Hebrews 12 so if you're debating whether you should wear shorts to run track you're you're allowed uh, it's biblical but um, the the women of course had a whole lot more things that they had. Uh, to worry about. If, if the men had to have short hair, the women had to have long hair, 1 Corinthians 11. Um, one of the things that they wrestled with during a transition in American culture was whether women should wear uh, pants and slacks. Now, they, they had to wear something, but, but dresses and skirts were what they were supposed to wear rather than pants because De Deuteronomy it's abomination for a woman to wear that which pertaineth to a man. Interesting, that verse has come back up in recent days, but I will not get off track. Um, there are other, other verses about jewelry. You know, 1 Peter 3, a woman's adornment should be that of her inner person. Um, should not be with gold and plated hair. 1 Timothy 2, um, prayer should adorn a woman. There were scriptural verses behind all of these uh, debates that we used to have. Like I said, since I was a guy, I didn't have to pay much attention to it. And, you know, we were a very small little holiness Wesleyan church that I grew up with, so I didn't think anybody else at my high school was a Christian. You know, obviously, they didn't come to my church. Um, and so I didn't really worry about these things uh, until I went to college. And then I thought, I'd like to date. Um, and the thing is, I went to Southern, Southern Wesleyan, so Indiana Wesleyan is, is scot-free in this one. Um, but uh, when, when I was there, you know, there, the women had... Uh, they wore pants, they had jewelry, they had earrings. You know, they did, they did some of these things that I was told, you know, really the, the holiest of women don't do these, these things. Uh, and, you know, so when I started dating, 
I felt it was my duty to start torturing, you know, the, the women of Southern, Southern Wesley. Um, and I was totally convinced. I had these, these verses. Um, and uh, the, this first experience in, uh, uh, you know, working out your salvation with fear and trembling didn't, did not go real well. Um, the, the woman wisely broke up with me. It was, it was the right decision. I'll, I'll, I admit it. Um, and uh, you, may, you may know uh, Judy Crossman, used to be Judy Huffman. She was actually the residence director of the girls' dorm at Southern at the time. And part of her job was to make sure that the men on campus didn't torture the women on, on campus. And so at one point, I found myself in, in her uh, headquarters uh, talking to her about this. And, and she, she cut me to the heart. She said, you know, Ken, there are colleges where everybody looks like, you know, everybody has the Wesleyan wad, you know? You know, you might... You might feel more comfortable if you went to one of those other, uh, other colleges. And I thought, what? Me not belong here? Um, but we, we, it was a very positive meeting, and, and we prayed. And I remember distinctly praying in that meeting, Lord, if, if I'm wrong, if I have the wrong attitude, or if I have the wrong understanding of Scripture on these things, if I am wrong on these things, please show me. That's what I said, and I meant it. It was a genuine prayer, but I can also tell you what I was thinking, but I'm right. I've got the verses. I have these verses all memorized. You know, some people have some verses memorized, love your neighbor. I had the verses on, you know, not wearing things that pertain to a man, memorized. But, so, but I had no expectation. I had no expectation that the Lord would change my mind on these things. I, it was a sincere prayer. Lord, if I'm wrong, please show me. But I, I didn't think I was wrong at all. Flash forward three or four months. It's Easter Sunday. I don't know why. For some reason, I decided to read through the book of Galatians uh, before church. And I think it was the Lord, of course. Uh, but I felt after I was done reading Galatians, you know what, Ken? You're not on Paul's side in this, in this book. You're actually the people that he's very angry with uh, as he writes um, uh, Galatians. And it was a turning point in my, my journey. Um, now, there are, there are people who still dress the way I grew up with, they still, and, and I'm not in any way trying to um, uh, condemn them or to say that there's something wrong with them. There are people who love the Lord, who continue to look the way that, that I grew up hearing that, that you should look. My point is, is that we can't all be right on everything. And, and we can't say, well, I just go back to the Bible, because we all are quoting the Bible. We all are convinced that the Bible is on our side, but statistically speaking, as far as I can tell, Lord, tell me if I'm wrong, statistically speaking, we cannot all be right about all of our interpretations of Scripture. We cannot. We have to be wrong on some things. Even to this day, it's hard for me to say, I have to be wrong on some things. And so what I'd like to lead us to consider this morning is that you would pray that prayer with me. Lord, if I'm wrong on anything and it's hurting the body of Christ or hurting our witness to the world, would you please show me? Now, I know you're not going to because I'm right, but Lord, would you please show me? And this is, of course, the story of Paul that was read to you earlier. This is such a fascinating and convicting story to me because Paul was absolutely and totally convinced that he was like the avengers of a Jew. You know, that, that he, God was going to give him an award. Paul, come on down. I want to show you this guy who put that Christianity in its place. Paul thought 
It's blasphemy to say that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul thought that was blasphemy. Paul's like, Messiahs don't die. God doesn't let his Messiah die at the hands of the Romans. That makes no sense whatsoever. Paul thought he was a hero. He went to bed every night saying, I am such a good person. He thought that he was the cat's pajamas of spirituality, and he was totally and utterly wrong. Wrong, dead wrong. He's on his way to Damascus, which is like, it's not even Israel. This is like you go to Galilee, you're only halfway there. He has left the building to go arrest Christians. He is so totally opposed to Christianity. He is totally convinced, and he knows the law. He, I mean, he can quote, I mean, Paul could have probably quoted you most of the Pentateuch if you'd have sat down with him. He knew scripture, and he was totally convinced that this Christianity thing was of Satan. And he's going to arrest Christians, and God stops him in his tracks, and Jesus says, Paul, what's going on? You know, what's going on here? You're, you're persecuting me. You're on the wrong team. And Paul, and Paul says, well, who are you, sir? I love that there's a double entendre here. Uh, the word Lord and sir, it's the, it's the same word. Like if you know in Spanish, uh, you can have senor who's a mister, and then there's el senor who's the mister, uh, the, the Lord. And it's the same way in Greek. Paul says, who are you, Lord? Who are you, sir? And Jesus says, that's right. I'm the Lord, and you need to stop persecuting me. And Paul, I mean, you can understand that he's got a little bit, does not compute, does not compute. I mean, he's got to sort some things out. He goes to seminary for three years. Um, uh, he, it, actually, he does. That's where the idea of three years comes from. He does not go back to headquarters in Jerusalem for three years. Um, but Paul's got some things to sort out. He and the Holy Spirit got to sit, sit back down with the Bible and go through some things again. But my point is that Paul was totally and utterly convinced that he was right, and he was totally and utterly wrong. Now, I'm not telling you you're completely wrong, you, whoever you are, uh, but we have to be wrong on some things. And let's, let's be frank, the church is not particularly unified right now. I think things have cooled down a little bit. You know, if we were to flash back Three years ago, the church was, we were, we were, you know, I had chickens. I know what a fight is. You know, we, we look like some of my roosters after they're trying to establish who's the boss in my yard. We've bloodied ourselves fighting each other as the church. And probably we're all a little right and we're probably all a little wrong. And I think it would be good if we would all commit ourselves to say, Lord, I'm pretty sure I understand what the Bible says on this. And I pretty, I'm pretty sure I understand what you want on this, but just because I'm really submitted to you, please show me if I'm wrong on, on anything. Well, different preachers up here would, would the, the rest of the sermon would be different. If Steve Deneff was up here, the, the sermon would go one way. Somebody else was up here, the sermon would go another way. I'm gonna give you the, the Ken Shank. Here's, here's some of my thoughts on how we can go about um, submitting to the Lord and asking the Lord uh, to help help us find areas where we might have a blind spot. My spots. My first point is start with faith. Don't don't throw the baby out and say, "Well, I'm just going to forget everything and start all over." Please don't do that. Um, I had a student once uh, who who uh, I taught philosophy. He came to my office. He was so excited. Man, there's so many assumptions I had that I didn't know. I'm just going to pretend like I don't know anything and start from scratch. I said, "Please don't do that." The faith you have. Start with that. Start with the faith you have. 
You've probably heard of Augustine lived, you know, over a thousand years ago, uh, had this idea of faith-seeking understanding. I believe in order that I might understand. Don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Not a good idea. You're probably going to end up a real big heretic, huge heretic, if you just throw everything else and, and start from scratch. So start with the faith you have and ask the Lord to lead you from, from wherever your position you're at, you're at right now. And if you start with kind of my, my core, my core understanding of Christianity uh, comes from Matthew 22 in terms of how we should live. Love God, love neighbor. Jesus was asked, you know, well, what's this, what's this all about? He said, love God, love neighbor. I think that's a good place to start. Start with that faith and, and move on from there. That's my, my advice on where, where to start with. Um, there was a guy named uh, Pascal uh, he had a wager. Actually, I'm not really fond of, of, of it, but, and as Wesleyans, we don't bet. Uh, but, um, but I see some good in it. He, he had some friends who liked to bet on horses, on anything. He, in his mind, they bet on anything that moved. Uh, and here's, here's kind of my paraphrase of what he said. Christianity's a pretty good bet. This idea of loving God, loving neighbor, it's a pretty good bet. Now, if, if it's the right bet, and you bet on it, that's superb because you've not only believed in something that's helpful, but you believed in something that's true. But let's say that he would say to his wagering buddies, let's say God doesn't exist and you bet on Christ. You've still lived a good life. You've still found meaning in your life. You've loved other people, which they liked, you know, and you've submitted to a greater than yourself, which is always good. And so if you bet on God and God exists, that's a great bet. If you bet on God and he doesn't exist, you've still made the world a better place and yourself a better person. So that's a good bet. And his betting friends, you know, he said, but if, if let's say you bet against God and there isn't a God, well, then you've probably had a miserable life without, I mean, a world without God is a world without meaning. A world without God is a world where we're just roadkill waiting to happen. You know, is, how's that happy? So if you, if you bet against God and you're wrong, that's not better if you bet against God and I'm sorry, if you bet against God and you're right, that's not better. If you bet against God and you're wrong, that's eternally bad. Um, and so he said, bet on, on God. Now, again, I'm not real fond of this argument, except that the positive side, that starting with God, believing in God, living for God, that's going to be a better life uh, than all the questions that you could, could have. So yay, Pascal, a little bit. Um, the other thing is, though, that if we believe in God, then we're not starting from scratch, right? God's been working with his people, not just for 2,000 years. I mean, he didn't start working with his people when Jesus came to earth. He was working with humanity long before Jesus came to earth. God has been at this with us for a very long time. There is no reason to start from scratch because there's a whole lot uh, that we can draw on from God's relationship with his people. And of course, the focal point is Scripture. Of, of that relationship. Um, you all know Bud Bentz. He's just videoed an entire church history course. It's great. Um, all of Bud Bentz captured on, on film. Um, but he, he has a, uh, there's a trailer for the course. And when he does that trailer, he talks about how sometimes we act as if it, it jumped from God was done with Revelation, and then he went to play golf in Alpha Centauri, and then there was Steve Deneff, and nothing happened uh, in between the New Testament and Steve Deneff being born. Um, uh, okay, maybe there was a Martin Luther. I think that was 500 years ago. But other than that, God hasn't been doing anything. No, God, if God is God, God has been walking with his people 
forever, constantly, all the time, throughout all of history. And so why start from scratch? We should start with the faith that we've inherited. And the more that Christians agree on things, the more trustworthy I would say that is. If you could find an issue where the overwhelming majority of Christians agree on it, I think that's gold. That's, that's solid gold. So don't, don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater and start from scratch. Start with the faith you have, and especially start with Scripture and with the, the uh, inherited truths that we've inherited from uh, Christianity. Another reason not to start from scratch is that truth isn't just, from, our, from a Christian perspective, truth isn't just a matter of things that are discovered. Truth isn't just a matter of sitting down and thinking hard. There are some people who come to Christ that way. C.S. Lewis came to Christ that way. Josh McDowell uh, came to Christ that way. There, there are some people who God, but you see, God drew them through their intellect. It, it wasn't their intellect that brought them to God. It was God drawing them through their intellect. And so I think if you take an approach of, I'm just going to reason this all out and I'm going to just figure it all out using my reason, that's a that's a a, not a, a winning strategy because the most important truths it may turn out to be are revealed rather than discovered. And so I would say, start with the faith you have. Don't just say, I'm starting from scratch. And, and, and you're going to do this anyway, probably. Very few people say, I want to start from scratch. The problem most of us has, have is, I'm not going to let go of what I already think. But I want to affirm you, start with the faith you have and, and move from there. Our problem, the core problem is, is that we are finite and we are flawed. We may think, well, I'm, I, I'm thinking perfectly clear. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when people are not thinking clear, when people's thinking is the most muddled, is when they think that their thinking is the clearest, uh, that it could... And, and, I think that our psychologist among us would tell us that when we are angry and when we are very emotional, it's when we are least clear in our, in our logical thinking. But we think we're awfully clear. And so we may think that we're logical. We may think that we're perfectly objective, but we're finite. This, this is a group of very smart people. This is a, this is a college church. Uh, not everybody here is, is associated with the college, but this, this is a church with an awful lot of smart people in it but none of us have it all together. None of us, all of us are finite in what we know. We don't have the whole picture and all of us are flawed. Whether we like it or not, we inevitably see the world the way that we are programmed to see it and often the way that we, we want to see it. Um, some of you will know my wife had an accident a, a few months ago and uh, uh, she's doing great, uh, started back work last week. Um, but we've, we've spent some time sitting at, at home watching, of all things, Korean television uh, shows with subtitles. I'm not quite sure, uh, but we've watched an awful lot of Korean television shows, and I'm beginning to learn Korean, which I never thought I was going to ever do. But um, one of the shows we watched uh, called Crash Landing on You or something like that, but it's, a, it's a, a woman from South Korea who goes paragliding and gets blown into North Korea. Uh, it's very funny. I highly recommend it. Um, but uh, at part of this, in part of this series, some soldiers from North Korea come down to South Korea to try to, to, to find her, um, and they can't believe. They've been told that South Korea is an awful place, um, that this, these imperialist uh, capitalists down in South Korea, it's an awful, unhappy place. And, and that's the way they view it. And everything that happens to them, they filter into that lens. All these cars 
people can't have this many cars. They've set this up to look like all these people have all these cars because there can't possibly be all these cars. Or two, two meals of meat a day? No, doesn't happen, can't be so. But everything he sees, he, he has a way of filtering it into his paradigm. This is the way things are, and I don't care what the evidence looks like. I'm gonna put it into the boxes that I have already established. And it's funny because we all know that he's doing this, but the, the secret is that we all do it too. We all have these boxes that we use to process reality. And some things go in our boxes and some things don't go in our boxes. And it's incredibly hard for us to accept, no, I don't have any boxes. No, I just see the world the way it is. We, so many of us think this, and yet it, it can't be true. And so the second step, first of all, start with the faith you have, don't give up your faith. Stick with the faith you have. But two, we've got to submit ourselves to God when it comes to the area of truth and knowledge. We have to be willing to change our mind. Well, this is difficult. But if you think about it, if you're not willing to change your mind, you're not really interested in the truth. We use the word truth a lot. We say, I'm standing for the truth. But we would not change our mind if God in, in the flesh came and appeared before us and told us we were wrong. Are we really interested in the truth if there is absolutely no scenario where we would change our mind, even if God appeared to us and told us you're wrong? Are we really interested in the truth if there's no chance for us to change our minds? Um, when I was in seminary, I was processing things I was learning um, and seminary college can be a little bit discombobulating because, well, you see options you didn't ever think of before. Uh, I went to Asbury Seminary, and one of the things that they're really big on is inductive Bible study. The idea behind inductive Bible study is you listen to the Bible. You let the Bible tell it what it means rather than saying, well, I'm here to read my Bible today, and I'm going to tell you what you say. Um, inductive Bible study says I listen to the text, and I let the text tell me what, what the Bible says. And um, my first year there, I was looking at the way Matthew interpreted the Old Testament. And I came in with a certain expectation about how Matthew has to read the Old Testament. The problem was, is that I was being trained to listen to the biblical text. And it didn't seem like Matthew was reading the Old Testament the way that I thought Matthew had to read the Old Testament. And I'm not, this issue, the issue is not important. The, the point is, the point is, is that I got so twisted that I'm like, does God want me to believe a lie? You know, I, I cannot unthink this. It'd be like if you say, Ken, in order to be a Christian, you have to believe that's, uh, that's a blue uh, synthesizer over there, keyboard. Um, well, I can't really make myself believe that that's blue. It sure looks black to me. And I got so twisted, you know, that I was like, does, is God asking me to to believe in him or to commit to him so much that I will even believe a, a lie if God wants me to believe a lie. I got, I got all, all twisted. I talked to my pastor. I talked to my seminary professor. I got really worked up about this. And again, the, the specific issue is not important, but I, I, I finally came to the conclusion, you know what? God and truth, they're like a horse and carriage. You know, they go together. Um, that the truth, the real truth, I'm talking about the real truth and what God thinks those can't be separated. If you can find something that's true in one area of life and you absolutely know it's true, of course, we, we never absolutely know it's true, but if we can be really sure that something's true in one area, it's not gonna contradict with God because God and truth, 
They're, this, they're on the same page. The truth is, is what God thinks. Uh, and, and I'm going to give you a really weird thought experiment here. This is really weird. But what if I could sit down with God and prove he didn't exist? Okay, this is really bizarre. Just, just go with me, okay? What if I could sit down and, and somehow logically prove to God, what's up here, man? You don't exist. I believe that God would say, well, you're right, poof. Now, that's obviously not true, and it's obviously not going to happen. But what I'm saying is God is a God of truth. And if something is true, then God agrees with it and God believes it. I don't think God's threatened, by the way. I don't think God's like, oh, are they, they going to prove I don't exist? I mean, God's not worried. But do you see what I'm saying? We need never fear the real truth because it's what God thinks. The problem is not with God. The problem is that we are finite and we are fallen. And I finally concluded that the problem wasn't with Matthew in this particular case. The problem was is that the expectations I had of Matthew uh, were wrong. Uh, and I had to change the way, the way I thought about that, that particular issue. But if we are not willing to change our mind on something, if God were to show us, then I would say you're not interested in the truth, really. You are claiming to be interested in the truth, but really you're not. You're just interested in what, you, what you've already believed or what you've already inherited. If we submit to the truth, then we're going to be willing to listen to God. Well, final, well, let me, let me also say another thing is that um, I used to offer, uh, I used to have a, it was a great offer, a New Testament uh, position paper at the end of my courses, final exam. Students wrote a position on an issue. I was always fascinated by the, the, the New Testament position paper that had no Bible in it. So, so this is a New Testament class. They are writing a paper, taking a position on an issue from the New Testament. And I would get these, and by the way, I agreed with some of them. It's not that they were wrong. It's not that their position was wrong. They were great Christian papers. It's just sometimes they didn't even mention the New Testament. And, and I got to where I, I would warn them, look, if you're going to write a paper on the New Testament, you should probably mention Scripture. I made it 60% of the grade. 60% of the grade if you actually mention the Bible in your New Testament paper. I got some great papers. I got some great papers, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I agree with the Wesleyan position on abortion, but I got some wonderful papers on abortion that didn't have a lick of Scripture in it. Great statistics, great theological arguments, no Bible whatsoever. And what happens is sometimes we use the Bible as a symbol rather than as a substance. And we talk about the Bible, and the Bible becomes a proxy for what we believe or our tradition believes, but we're, we're just talking about the Bible. We're not actually using the Bible or believing in the Bible. So start with the faith you have. Don't throw it out. Start with the faith you have. Submit yourself to God and submit yourself to the real truth. And then lastly, Listen to other people. Listen to people who disagree with you. The problem is, of course, is that we like to listen to people who agree with us. We like to get in a room with people who are saying the same thing that we say. We, we like to be in the bubble. It's a comfortable place. I don't like talking to people who, who believe things that I really don't like. Um, but I think if I'm never talking to people who disagree with me, that I'm going to be prone to just be in this little tunnel of believing things, some of which probably aren't going to be true. And so listen to people who 
disagree with you. Listen to God for sure. Don't just talk to God when you're praying, but stop and listen to God while you're praying as well. The Bible says, love your enemy. I think very easily we could extend that and say, listen to your enemy. Even if you don't like what your enemy enemy has to say, listen to them. There are probably, you've heard this over and over again, there are probably going to be people in heaven who you thought, man, they're going to hell for sure. Um, and they may actually get some of the awards in heaven. Hey, why, aren't, why am I not getting that award? Um, listen to your enemy. Listen to what your opponent is saying. Here's another thing, though. Stick to your guns. I'm not telling you to... I don't think God wants some blasé Christianity where nobody believes anything or where you believe that, I believe that, and it doesn't matter. Stick to your guns. If you think that something is important to God, stay with that and ask, Lord, if I'm wrong, please show me, show me differently. If you're an advocate for immigrants... Stay a strong advocate for immigrants. If your thing is we need to get abortion out of politics, we need to use politics to get rid of abortion, then be invested in that. If you think I need to uh, help the poor, I need to help those who are not in equitable conditions, whatever it is that you believe that God has given you as your quest, stick to your guns. I'm not telling you to back off. Start with the faith you have. Stay, stay strong standing up for God and what you think, but also... Leave room for God to tap you on the shoulder and say, you're right on this issue, but your attitude really stinks. Or, you know what? You're not quite as right on this issue as you, as you think you are. Listen to God. I want to close with the story of Gamaliel in the book of Acts. Some of you will know it in Acts 4. Gamaliel, as far as we know, never believed in Jesus, never believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But he is, he is talked about very positively uh, in the book of Acts. If you remember the story... There's this, this Jewish ruling council, uh, and there, most of the Jewish ruling council wants to get rid of Christians. Um, and they're like, how can, we, how can we get rid of these people? How can we kill them? How can we stone them? How can we, how can we stop this influence? Um, and Gamaliel says, well, let's pause for a minute. If these people aren't of God, God's going to take care of it. God will stop them if these things aren't of God. There are plenty of movements throughout history that went nowhere. Gamaliel says, if these people aren't of God, God will stop them. But here's a thought. If they are of God, we can't stop them. That's a different way of thinking. That's not the way the others were thinking. The others were thinking in so many words, I don't care what the truth is, we got to stop these Christians. Gamaliel's like, well, I don't think these Christians are right. But if they are, we're not going to be able to stop them. Stick to your guns. You have your way of understanding what God wants you to do. Stick to it. Just keep fighting. But leave open this prayer. Lord, if I would prove to be wrong on anything, or if my attitude's wrong about anything, please show me. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, in, in, in this room, I know, and anybody watching, we have all kinds of understandings, all kinds of positions, all kinds of opinions. <clears throat> maybe most of them, maybe all of them are, are right. But I ask, and I mean this for myself as well, that if, if there's anything where my attitude's wrong, if there's anything where our, where our attitude is wrong, <clears throat> if there's anything where our position is hurting the kingdom of God, hurting the witness of the church, please show us. We mean this sincerely, even though we have conviction. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.